Madison Story Slam. It's me, your host, Adam Rosted. I am sitting in my kitchen right now where I usually record these uh, podcast episode intros. But today, I actually have a uh, an interview for you guys, something we haven't had in a little while. And uh, But before we get to that, I want to tell you that, uh, let's see, our next event is Saturday, August 19th at the Wilmar Center. The theme is The Good, The Bad, and The Awkward. If you'd like to know what we do at our events, you can go back and listen to the previous Story Slam episodes. Our most recent ones were from the May event, which was Death, Sex, and Money. But today we're going to talk to an old friend, actually the first guest that we ever had on the podcast. And uh, you might know him, you might know who his brothers are. Today we have Tom Farley on the podcast. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Hey, hey, you always remember your first, right? That's right. That's, that's what people tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this is good. I, I, I love the setting here in your kitchen. You know, it's, it's kind of like a, a Farley safe place. The kitchen, yeah, the kitchen, yeah. So uh, this is really, uh, this is good. We're gonna, we're gonna have a good talk. Good. Uh, so I was, lis- I was re-listening yesterday and today to our first yeah. chat, and the chat was great. But I have to tell you, my skills as a an interviewer and b an an editor of podcasts is horrible in that first episode. Well, lucky you got you know people. You know, my family, we you know we can go on and on and talk all day. So you really, um, you know. You don't. You don't need to really guide us and start as far as questions. Well, we'll see, just, but that's what I was doing. That, like yeah. I was trying to get yeah. you to go my direction. And what I've learned since as an interviewer yeah. is just, is just to be honest as an interviewer and let the interviewee kind of carry it. Yes, I I do have an agenda that I want to talk about, but you know, if you're willing to bring up more interesting things, that was the thing. I was like, I was listening to our interview and I was like, Adam. Just let this guy talk, you, dude. Dude, you need to take an improv class. That's what you need. Yeah, you know the whole kind of yes and like accept. You know what's given to you as a gift. You add a little, but it's all you know. Yeah, I I would like to think stuff. that I've I've learned a little bit more because you know, I think oh, that I'm was sure three you. years ago, yeah, totally. and I've done a lot of these since totally. then. So, uh, what have you been up to in three years? Oh, you know uh, this and that. I still do a lot of speaking. Um, uh. I went out and got a real job. I, th- I think when when you when we talked last, you were not officially working anywhere. You were just kind of freelancing. Yeah, I did a lot of consulting. I had yeah, some consulting stuff. I, I you know I, I went back into banking into the um, the uh, mortgage world. All right, which is where I started out back in New York way way long time ago. And uh, it's been um, it's been interesting. You know, it's. Uh, Thank God, you know this is a new day and age. So if, you know, no, no, the the coat and tie thing is gone for hopefully forever. It's like, <laughs> like, you know, I went back into my closet, and those suits just don't really fit as well as they sure. used to. So, um, so again, I, I still do a lot of um, uh, motivational speaking. So I, I get out and do that, and um, yeah, just did the uh, the um, graduation circuit. Did a couple of uh, commencement, you know, talks. At, yeah, uh, you know, that was fun. That's so, cool. Uh, and I think a couple times you've been like the parade master in Baraboo. Oh, is up that in right? Baraboo. Yeah, Baraboo is kind of my, my adopted little city. Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, maybe it's a clown thing. I don't know. They got all these clowns up there. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, or freaky, depending on how you look at it. But um, yeah, it's a great little spot. It's, it's, it's just right up the pike here. And um, it's a cool little town. You know, it's, it's, um, and a lot of fun people, so I'm I'm really up there a lot as much as I can be, and so they've asked me up to be the uh, the judge for their uh, circus parade the last two years, and 
that's been that's been fun. Yeah, sounds fun. And since we last talked to you, the the documentary came out, the I Am Chris Farley oh, doc. We, oh, that's right, because after we talked, when that came out, I think we had Kevin in town, mm-hmm. and he talked a little bit about that. Yeah, very, that like, I think two years ago. I think when when I, when we had Kevin on, and you were there as well, and talked a little bit, you both were kind of being a little bit uh, secretive about it because I don't think there was a ton of info out about it at that point. Uh, probably, yeah. So like I you, didn't even you see guys it. alluded to some things about why Kevin might be there. Like it was Christmas time, so he was there anyway. But oh, like, that's right. And so it was. It was um, August two years ago that it came out. Yeah. Um, Man, it's been that long since that movie came out. That, that feels yeah. like six, seven months ago to me. Totally, totally. Yeah, because we had this. That we had a great event at the uh, at the Orpheum. And yeah, uh, kind of like a mini premiere. I and saw the the pictures with you, Kevin, John, Barb, and your mom. Yeah, up, up on, on stage, stage yeah, right? Totally. Yeah, fighting for the microphone. You know, it's like yeah, a bunch of Farley. <laughs> kind of sounds like, like yeah, a Farley my turn to talk. My turn to talk. <laughs> yeah, it was very. <laughs> it was like the dinner table when we were growing up. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was fun. It was a great movie. You know, as I said before, um, the difference. You know, I wrote. My book, The Chris Farley Show. That's right. I'm sorry. I forgot to mention that. That's all right. I'm just a New York Times bestselling author, but, you know, what do you care? <laughs> well, um, you know, I have told you this. That is, like, my favorite book, so. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, I use small words. That's why. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of pictures, yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I know my audience. That's right. So, uh, um, you know, I wrote that, when I wrote that book in 08, you know, about 10 years ago, you know, I, you know, at the time... And it was right at the time. You know, I had to tell the the good, the bad, and the ugly, as I as I said, and that was great. You know, I, we, we and it turned out to be it was a good story. You know, we had it was very true to Chris's life. You know, there was some just wonderful things, funny things, um, endearing things, and then there was just the struggles and the and, mm-hmm. the and the demons. So, some time passed from there, and Kevin came up with the idea. It's like, hey. You know, we got to do a movie, a documentary, rather, uh, on, on the talent. You know, all these comics have come up through the ranks saying, you know, I'm, you know, um, I was inspired by, you know, Chris. It's like, you know, um, so we said, all right, well, you know, we got to, you know, pay homage to that. And so Kevin did this documentary. We were just talking just about not his demons so much, but just about his like, where did this guy come from? Like, where's his background? How did this? Ha- how does this happen? And um, how does this uh, hurricane come out of Madison, Wisconsin? Yeah, how did it come, yeah, how did it come out of the bedroom I had to share with him? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I knew something was wrong there. But um, so, yeah, and this was a kind of a fun little thing. And it was, and you know, I, I keep going back to there is, um, they showed some clips. SNL gave us some clips that some stuff that did make it on air, stuff that was just, you know, you know rehearsal. And there, I was sitting in the front row with Kevin. <clears throat> you know, getting you know emotional times and stuff like that. But there was this this skit that they um, a clip of Chris and Bob Saget was was the guest host that time, and Chris played this really flamboyant you know um, interior decorator kind of guy, and he just played it so over the top, and 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 Saget was trying to keep a trace face, and I had Chris is not. Made obviously because I've seen most of the stuff and he's not around anymore. But he hasn't made me laugh like that, like you know, genuinely, mm-hmm. like for the like I've you know, oh my god, I'm seeing this for the first time yeah. and I'm just I'm just crying laughing so hard. And that was the coolest feeling having Chris after like you know, eighteen nineteen years like crack me up like that. I thought those days were gone. Yeah, but they found a clip and it was great. Yeah, it was really cool. 
Yeah, so you said 18, December, it's 20 years, It's, right? it's coming up on 20 years this year, yeah. I know that's insane. That is totally insane. I, I know, was only just, 10, but it doesn't feel yeah. like, I felt, I don't know. Looking back, I remember, you know, it, I feel like a lot of 10, like, a lot of 10-year-olds wouldn't remember an actor dying. Right. But, you know, like, I, I'm sure it has to do with being a Madisonian and a fan yeah. of comedy my whole life. But I really do, like, man, 10 years, like, being 10 years old and, and learning about Chris and being like... That, that just seems like yes. Well, when I was me. ten, I mean, I I really I totally remember when Buster Keaton died. No, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Um, but uh, you're right. No, that was. You know, at the end of our conversation last time, uh, I asked you the last thing I asked you about is about your book and how there's no real redemption at the end. And uh, what you said to me, you, you were like, "You're right," but where the redemption comes in is dur- the conversation after the book. Hundred percent, and really, really, what you were saying is the conversation after Chris's death, and I'm I'm curious about in the twenty years what kind of redemption uh, maybe that you found for yourself or for your family oh, or for Chris's legacy. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, personally, it's 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 huge. You know, you know, I was the older brother. I was one that had a shared bedroom with him. I was, you know, I went to high school with him. I was the senior when he was a sophomore, and the guy just just annoyed me entirely. You know, he was just like, <laughs> oh my god, you know, come a on, true Chris. brother. Yeah. True brother, and like I was the oldest, so I was always trying to toe the line and you know have these expectations that dad gave me. And Chris was just it, he had none of it, and, and it was just, it just seemed so easy for him, and it bugged the crap out of me. You know, like in high school, my my buddies would laugh at him. I'm like, stop laughing at him. <laughs> don't guy's encourage funny. this. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. It's not guy's not funny. And they're like, yeah, it's pretty funny, Farles. And I'm like, all right, so. Um, uh, you know, and it was it was that way. You know, even when we lived in New York together, and and it was just kind of this back and forth. Like Jesus, man, you know what do you, you know? Why can't you be, you know, just a little like me? I'm trying to set an example. <laughs> and you know, with writing the book, you know, I I got this picture of Chris through everyone else's eyes. Hmm. You know, if I wrote a, a, a true biography, just like, you know, Tom Farley tells the story of his brother, Chris, it would have been through my, only my eyes and it would have been, you know, all those painful, you know, you know, pain ass moments of, of <laughs> Which might be up. a good book and it's right. Absolutely. But, yeah. So uh, doing interviews with all these people at different stages of his life, I'm like, oh, wow, they saw this, you know. The good in them too. They, you know, they didn't just focus on this. I mean, I saw it, but I just didn't want to give them credit for it. Chris, you know, growing yeah. up. So, um, um, yeah, my redemption is, is you know, I, as I've said so many times, it's like here I was all these years thinking Chris was trying to like push my buttons and, and just being a general pain in the ass. And and really, what he was. And, and here's the thing. Here's a guy that's known for being, you know, his characters and all these characters that he's played. And I was trying to be this caricature of who I thought I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And Chris was just being Chris from Madison, Wisconsin. Whether he was in New York or L.A., he was just, hey, man, this is who I am. And this is who I've always been. And people loved him for it. And yeah. you know, I was struggling because I was trying to be something else. And the message I got after Chris died and reading the bo- and writing the book and doing all these interviews, it's like it was, I, I got Chris's message. All these years was, he was just saying, Tommy, man, just be yourself. Just chill out. And and I started doing it. I moved back to Madison from New York, and I kind of got back to my roots. And like, this is how we were we were growing up to be kind of this, you know, fun, you know, humble, you know, grateful kind of family. And so I got back to that. 
and it was that's my redemption certainly yeah um I think uh, another part of the redemption theme, if you will, is in the 20 years since Chris died, I think, you know, it's not, we're not close really as we should be, but a lot of the stigma of a, you know, a star dying of, a, of an overdose is, is slowly slipping away. I think that, you know, we're seeing it more as a disease. We're seeing it more as, you know, oh my God, we, we, we couldn't walk up a mile in these guys' shoes if we, if we wanted to, the pressure they have and the, and the public, you know, display that they got to go through all the time. I think we're, we're in this age of, of, you know, media overload. I think we're seeing some of these pictures of, of what these celebrities or politicians or whoever have to go through. And uh, so I think there's a little bit of redemption because out of the box, it was like, uh, you know, another, you know, screw up, you know, you know, celebrity comedian, you know, overdosing, you know, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I was going to say um, today, I don't think, I think when most people talk about Chris, they don't go, oh, you know, Chris, he's the guy who overdosed and blah, blah, blah. Do you think so? I, you know, maybe I'm, I'm hypersensitive to it, but I, I think a lot of people do. Understandably. You know, I mean, I, I hear it still all the time. Really? Like Chris Farley, who died of an overdose in 1997, I'm like, Really? That's so strange. It, I would it, I would never all the time. Let's say that I ran into somebody who had never heard of Chris Farley. I don't think that would even be part of the conversation. The the conversation would be oh, totally. oh, yeah. yeah. He's he's this guy from Madison who became a, a famous comedian, was on Saturday Night Live, starred in movies, hilarious. He's no longer with us, but go see his movies. He's awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's changed over time too. But I again I, I hear it. That's so strange. I, you know, I hear it all the time. Yeah. I'm like, wow, when is that going to change? I mean, when is that going to, you know? Yeah. Well, speaking of celebrities dying, we've had a few in the last month and a half. Um, it was two, cele- or maybe two, three months. Chris Cornell yeah. uh, passed away. And, uh, and then the lead singer of a band called Linkin Park. I don't know if yeah. you're familiar. Uh, Chester uh, Bennington. Uh, yeah, I never really listened to a lot of, yeah. uh, you know, I... Um, I used to go drinking down in Lincoln Park in, in Chicago, Chicago, but that's as close as I got to that. Yeah. Uh, well, so they both, um, there's no great way to say this. They both killed themselves. Um, yes. And, yeah. I was, and I was, I was for some reason, the, the, the Lincoln Park guy really hit me. Um, I don't know why, but it just really was, was like hard on me and continues to be. I was not a Lincoln Park fan, um, no. but... He was just a young guy. He was 41, I think. And um, for whatever reason, his demons and struggles caught up to him. And if this is uh, over the line or out of bounds, whatever you want to call it, let oh, me know. We can move past no, it. Nothing, nothing. I, I'm curious if, or how you, what, what your response to this, what you think of this. I, I was thinking about this in relation to Chris. Yeah. And Chris didn't kill himself. But he didn't exactly choose to live either. Does that make sense at all? As a as a as a as a statement, as a you know, as a hypothesis. Yes, that totally makes sense. Why you would say that? Um, the the correlation I, that I'm trying to make here's the, go ahead. here's the difference, and this is the this is the thing that that um, is kind of um forgotten about chris and one of the important parts of my book as well as maybe even the movie is um where that uh breaks down is in the fact that chris and and all of us come from a family um that is 
very Catholic. Yeah. Deeply religious. And, you know, Chris would go to Mass every day if he could have, you know, but he I probably went like three, four times a week, you know. I mean, he was not committed. You know, as, as he was said, you know, he, he, he knew he was a sinner and he knew that that's the place where he went to get forgiven and he'd have to do it every day because he'd walk out of <laughs> don't the, we he, all he was you know <laughs> 10 minutes outside the church he was back at it so um and that was his his struggle but um yeah that i mean you know he just you know uh wouldn't um give up on life because that's not the way we were raised and yeah and that's, that's I'm, the wrong i'm not even saying that he gave up yeah. on life i am more trying to say that uh with chris cornell and chester bennington and I'm going to lump Chris into this. It's it's a mental health thing, I think, that is uh, either overlooked or yeah, oh, absolutely, or or willfully ignored in in mm-hmm. Hollywood and the the biz, as it's called. Um, so I, you know, Chris was sick, mm-hmm. and, and addiction is a mental health issue, no and, question. And I'm sure, being uh, a Wisconsinite myself, with many of the same kind of background as you and Chris, like just being from Wisconsin and having people. Anyway, I'm sure there were, there were some depression issues uh, in, in Chris's life. Oh, there was a lot of undiagnosed stuff. I'm, we're, you know. And so I, I'm curious, what, at what point, what, what point does Hollywood or whoever, it sounds so phony to say, but what point does Hollywood? Good question. But at what point does somebody go, hey, like enough is enough, let's destigmatize this issue and like really talk about it. Adam, here's the reality. And I saw it play out and it was really just, you know, I look back and it's just, and I, and I see it in all these other people that are going through it. Um, you reach a certain point and, it, you know, it may sound like cliche or like, you know, this can't really be, but you know, these people are literally um, a commodity. I was going to say they're dollar signs, aren't they? they at first, there, there is, you, 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 when you think of, let's say, Hollywood, Mm-hmm. You're thinking of the stars. That's not Hollywood. Hollywood is a money machine. Those are the, it's the people behind that. Hmm. The, that's the product. These aren't that the, the, the actors and things like Hollywood. That's not. And you Hollywood. can't treat a product. You can only make right. a product sell. Well, right, and that's what. But, so the, that's but the, wouldn't you think that in order to sell the product, you would have to treat the thing behind the product? Like, if if you're if you're trying to sell something, right? You're going to make it look as good and be as good as it no, can be. It's, it's a formula, I think. They, <clears throat> they, I think um, people look at these, at these performers and say, all right, it, it, it's almost like, think of an NFL player. Yeah. Average, you know, five, we got five years here. Let's get, every, you know, let, you're getting out every game, you, you know, shoot you up. Yeah with painkillers and you're getting back out there because we only got you for five years and we're making money off you for five years then that's it and if somebody goes you know eight years that's awesome 10 years even better you know 15 years and that's you know that's that's gold yeah but you know they're not they're not looking to that to that rookie and saying hey man let's let's try and make this you know you know go out for you know 15 15 years they're saying we got you for five, and it's you know anything after that is gravy. They're really saying how long can we make money off of yeah. you without having to put money into you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, that's a good point. Yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. I, it's sad because yeah, it totally is. It totally takes the the person out of the product. Yeah, and there was a point point where my brothers, who are still in the in the business, 
it's like, God, you know, we should do something about that. Maybe we should, you know, advocate for them. And, and then we realized, you know what? It ain't going to happen. I think it comes down to being aware yourself. You know, like if I'm sure Kevin and John are aware that they're a product, but they don't allow their personal lives to be affected by that uh, to the extent that they can. Well, here's a different take on it. Again, going back to my sports analogy, you know, there are some programs in place, for instance, on the um, financial management side of getting rookies in to, you know, understand their finances sure, better yeah. and and understand their support structures better. And yet, it, 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 when you look at it, it's like a couple classes, you know, in, 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 in training camp. Yeah. That's not really... The solution, but, well, but they feel good about it. Especially if you look at a lot of, we're just staying with sports, uh, where a lot of uh, athletes come from are, I would say at least half come from uh, like a place of not having money and not having the training as as right. a young person on, on how to use their money and and deal with their money, and then suddenly they're thrust into this position where they have all this money and they're like, well, I never got like, I don't know how to ch- balance a checkbook or. Uh, you know, what different savings accounts are like and yep. blah, blah, blah. I just know that I have money and when I get it, I get to buy what I want. Yep. And so you got these athletes who are in for five years and make a couple million dollars and then 10 years later, they're broke. Well, yeah. Because they think, you know, that, you know, the average is five years, but they're telling themselves, oh, no, I got 10 years. This mm-hmm. is going to go on for 10. Easy. Yeah. We're not all Brett Favre. Yeah. Or they're not all Brett Favre. <laughs> exactly. As nice as it would be. Um. Tell me about life. Like just, so we're Madison Story Slam. You know this. Yeah. Uh, our upcoming theme is oh, yeah. the good, the bad, and the, and the awkward. awkward. I wonder yes, if you so. have any awkward stories uh, throughout your life that you wouldn't mind sharing. Oh, man. You know, I'm so used to awkward right now, you know, at this you know, stage of my life. You know, it's like I've done Can I awkward. ask how old you are? 55. 55. Okay. But I'm just saying, I grew up, you know, we, we were always, you know, just... Awkward is like, you know, that's probably why my brothers are so great at comedy because they've embraced, you know, the awkward. It's kind of like they make it out, you know, we make it up, you know, we champion it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's awkward, then there's embarrassing, you know. It's true. There is a fine you distinction know, there. Totally. Yeah, I'm rarely embarrassed. Um, Me neither. I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll allow myself to be awkward, but I'm not embarrassed see, see, by my like awkardness. Like the first hint of awkwardness, man. Do I, you I, lean into I, it? Oh, I laugh my butt yeah. off. I'm like, this is, this is, now this is funny. Yeah. And I, and I totally, you know. Because I think uh, if you lean into your own awkward situations, your own awkwardness, it, you're really taking control of it and making it become absurdity. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. absurdity is funny. It always is. So, um, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I, I saw that theme, and I'm like, all right, now what can I do? You know, I always, I always look at your your your, your themes, and I'm like, all right, now what can I? Do? I want to show up, and I want to do something, and I'm like, <laughs> and I think I'm like, like, you know, I got nothing. I mean, it's like, you know, you know the, the thing is, is what I have. Uh, so we've been interviewed by um, like the Cap Times and the Isthmus, mm-hmm. and they, they ask me like, why are people interested in stories, and how do you get people to tell stories, and blah blah blah. The thing is, what I always say is stories beget stories. So when, yes. we, when we start a story slam on, on an event night, so on Saturday the 19th, we'll maybe have five people signed up beforehand. And 100, 120 people will show up. 
and they will hear the first five stories and go, oh, yeah. oh I've got one yeah. that's just like, I, it's a perfect for this and blah, blah, blah. You're absolutely right. So it, it's between the, the encouragement is hearing other people tell stories and then also having a couple beers. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, totally. yeah. so I, I say that to say, if, if you get into that mindset of like, oh, I'll come up with something and then, and then I'll go there yeah. and t- just come anyway. That's and, a great a message. You're right. And you know what? And that's that. There you go. There's your, there's your plug. Um, just show up and do that. And yeah, and, it's, and, it's fun no matter what, even if you don't tell a story, it's, it's, yeah. I, I know that I put this on, but it, it is the most fun free event that I know of in Madison. So I can imagine. Yeah, totally. So, but no awkward stories right now. Nothing. Um, well, yeah, there's one, I mean, there's one story I, you know, I, I tell and retell many, many times. And, um, it's kind of to illustrate the point of living with Chris and growing up with Chris and what he was like. And, um, there was a time when we were, uh, altar boys, you know, we were all on, you know, at St. Raphael's theater up in the, up in the altar. And I know this story. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, um, and, uh, it was Easter and, you know, my dad was commentating that like four priests up in the altar, including the bishop. And, uh, there was one point in the Catholic Mass at that time where you had to, the altar boys had to ring a bell. And wh- why did you have to ring a bell? Do you know? I you, it was kind of, it was a, it was a, it was a critical point in the, in the, in the, um, in the service. In the service. But do you know Christ. what it signified or anything? God damn it. <laughs> it's no, okay. It's okay if, it's okay if you I don't. never did. I know. Exactly. I'm like, uh, whatever. It's like, okay. It was, it was, it was a transfer, transfer. Configuration go, from going from the the um, the water and wine and bread to the body to the body of Christ. Yeah. Okay, it was that trans transfigure. Whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's some priests out there. They're gonna be no. They're probably not gonna listen to this. But they're, I'm gonna have to go back to remedial <laughs> remedial Catholicism. <laughs> You're gonna go back to yeah, confirmation. My nuns, yeah, my nuns from you know, you know, from grade school. They're gonna come at me with you know, grab me by the ear again. Um. So you had to ring so a bell at one point. we had point. to ring a bell at some point. So, you know, Chris and I, being severely, you know, ADD, you know, inflicted, we quickly lose track of where we are in the Mass. We're looking out in the, in the pews to see if we can see any buddies from, from How old class. are you at this point? Um, I probably was maybe, Chris is maybe eighth grade. I was, you know, freshman, sophomore. Sure. Something like that. Yeah. Um. So uh, old enough to be able to pay attention. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> so, um, you know, we're fooling around, whatever. We're just not paying attention. And so, uh, all of a sudden I hear Chris go, Tommy, Tommy. I'm like, Oh, Oh. And I'm like, grab the bells and start ringing away. And I look up and these priests are all looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, and I realized that moment that I was a good five minutes you know, beforehand, and all I hear next to me is, <laughs> it's like cracking. Chris is cracking up. I'm like, you son of a bitch! And <laughs> you totally got me. You just do that on purpose all the time. You know that I love that story. That's yeah, amazing. It is just pretty funny. So being a, being a pastor's kid and growing up in church, oh, right, right, I, right. I would imagine I like we don't, we never rung bells. We weren't weird Catholics, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was kind of a wake up bell. Yeah, I, I can important. only imagine doing something awkward like that and feeling awkward. But I mean, I'm sure you had to laugh at some point about it that day. Or did you just hate Chris that day? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, you know, because by the end of the Mass, it was over. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, he always would find those moments when 
he, you couldn't retaliate, hmm. you know, and that was his beauty. I mean, he didn't care. Yeah. You know, like, um, I used to drive him to school every, you know, senior year and he'd be in the back seat, and we had this neighbor of ours that I used to drive and she was cute and I, you know, I dated her, you know. You fancied her. I did. You know, she was, yes, quite a little number. And, uh, um. Like every week, you know, we'd be in the car and be kind of silent because she never talked and, you know, I didn't, wasn't going to talk to Chris. And from the back seat, you just hear this huge fart, you know, and then Chris would go, oh, Susie. And she's like, ah, that wasn't me. And I'm like, ah, damn it. You know, and it was just made the, made the car ride really awkward. Yeah. Just the rest of the way. I'm like looking in the rear view mirror. He's laughing his ass off. I'm like, ah, you know. Come on, man. Do you think that farts will ever not be funny? To not in our men? family. Oh, not in our family. It's <laughs> certainly, yes. Um, Kevin, Kevin was doing, he does stand-up all over the country now. And uh, he had to stop one of his acts once, and I don't know where it was. But um, he's in this comedy club, and he's doing his, you know, standard fart jokes. And uh, he looks out in the audience, and this woman has just got this scowl on her this older woman yeah has this scowl on her face and he finally stops and goes all right uh, hold on he goes ma'am i'm just not your cup of tea aren't i and she goes no you are not <laughs> and Kevin goes that was you and you just made my night that's perfect that is just that is just awesome that's funny. and for my next fart joke <laughs> you know it was so i if you know summer is like the the time of like uh barbecuing and being out yeah uh, my my in-laws live on the lake in Westport, and so we're always out there eating, and there's always a vegetable tray. And there is no greater joy for me than to eat a bunch of cauliflower, because I know that means that later when we go to bed, I get to there fart my wife out of beautiful, the bed. Yeah, totally. <laughs> she hates it. I think it's the funniest thing in the world. So, Oh, wow. That's that's a good one. Yeah. We don't really think about, you know, we, we kind of process, the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, our you don't diets, think about uh, what you're eating and what it's going to no, be. No, we just know that we're, you know, the end product's going to be good. <laughs> That's right. Now, one of the best, one of the best, um, you know, fart moments in my family. This is a very strange conversation yeah, we're having. Is. Totally is. I'm, I'm um, all for it. Uh, we were walking into an elevator once. My dad was this big guy, and you know, we were all like four boys, and we were getting into an elevator, and the four boys went on first, if you can imagine, and we kind of went to one. Uh, went to one corner. Mm-hmm. So we're all kind of like in this corner. My dad walked in, doors shut, and you know, we all we love cracking each other up with a good fart. And so dad just kind of you know leans over, lifts the leg, and I mean, it was, I mean, dads were loud. They were yeah. incredibly loud. And uh, it just, and it went, and it went on, you know, it was mm-hmm. just a long, loud, classic, you know, Papa Farrell's fart. I call them cheek slappers. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it had all the elements of a good one. And from behind this wall of his sons, he hears, "Oh my!" <laughs> what we had done, we had blocked this little old lady from view. We just kind of like sit and put her in the corner. And Dad, who's just this gentleman to the you know to the end, he was so mortified and like you. He was so, so mad at us. Yeah. Like, Dad, you did it. You're the one who farted, man. You're the one that farted. You didn't like see if it was a clear, you know, you know, killing field. Yeah. You know. That's too funny. And oh my. Like, <laughs> and we had to ride all the way up with this poor lady looking at all of us like monsters. <laughs> um 
Speaking of your dad, I was so I was doing a little bit of research last night about you, and I mean, I know from last time a lot, but I just was seeing has any, anything happened in the last three years? And I came across. Um, do you know what Reddit is? Yeah, I came across. Uh, I don't. I never go on it, but I, yeah. It's, so it's a you know it's just kind message of a board. Yeah. yeah, forum. And uh, Kevin did what's called an ask a- me anything. AMA, yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you see or hear about the guy that commented and said, "Hey, I bought a box of photos from a thrift store years ago in New York." And yes, I got them. Did, did you got them? Yeah. Okay, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was looking at that and looking at some of the photos that he posted, and one was of your dad. And he was a big guy. Like, oh, yeah. I don't mean, <clears throat> forgive me, I don't mean fat, but he was a big guy in that way as well. But he was like super tall, it looked like. Was he a really tall guy? Well, because I guess maybe the one photo that I had that was I saw six, was him. He was 6'1". Okay. Well, I mean, that's pretty tall for he an Irish been, guy, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, for, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, he'd have to be, you know, 13 feet tall to carry that weight, though. He was big. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was big. He but was like, more, I mean, yeah. I mean... I don't know if this is like because I'm a Wisconsin guy, but I was like, I mean, he was big, but he was from Wisconsin. You know what I mean? Like it didn't. No, it was big. I mean, and, really? but, but well, you know, looking back, yeah. But you know, growing up, we were like, you know, we didn't think there was, you know, it was just it was dad. We we just, yeah. you know, we we saw him through completely different eyes. But here was, you know, it's interesting. I mean, this is kind of you know, looking back, we see these little things, and it's one of those things that. I may have mentioned in the book, I can't remember, but I talk about it a lot. You know, it's like, here was dad, you know, when he died, he was, you know, you know five, six hundred pounds, whatever. And he always looked great. You know, he always had a blue blazer on. Um, <laughs> that he had made it <laughs> his favorite joke, his famous joke is, uh, yeah, I like my new coat. Had it done at Gallagher Tent and Awning, you know, and uh, <laughs> so, uh, um, and dad was like, oh, you look great, you look great, you look great. And you know, obviously he was, you know, 500 pounds. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know, but we just like loved the man. Yeah. And here's Chris, who was, you know, the biggest one in our family. And, you know, and he, for the rest of his life, you know, you know, like all of us subconsciously were, like, were saying, yeah, dad is not great. You know, sure. he's, not, he's, he's, he's morbidly obese. And I think at some point Chris must have said subconsciously or consciously, like, man, if everyone's telling dad he looks great. You know, and everyone's telling me, "God, you're so funny, and you're and you're and you're great too." It's like, is it all BS? You just come to question everything. Yeah, like question, like how, you know, like bullshit. Yeah. And then that probably you know had a you know, he struggled with that. I'm sure. Well, let's talk about that. What, why? Why do you think we, as just humans in general, but also this Midwestern nice thing that we have going on? Why do you think we're so willing to not be honest with somebody just because it might hurt their feelings or whatever? When yeah, if we were man. honest, it could change their life right. for the better. I don't know. I I I think about that all the time. You know, I lived in New York for 17 years, and everyone was very blunt. And like, let's take an example in, in the business world. In New York, if you present you know a, a business plan to somebody, it's like you know we can do this, this, and this. Guy in New York will go, mm, yeah, nah, not for me. Don't yeah. want to do it. And you walk away. And no harm, no foul. I mean, you you didn't waste any more time. But here in, in Wisconsin, maybe throughout the Midwest, I mean, you go in, it's like, yeah, I'll, yeah that sounds pretty good. I'll, I'll think about it. I'll get back and, to you. I'll get back to you. And like, great. And you walk out and you call a guy and like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm still kind of, and yeah. it goes on and on and on. And and it's just all, you know, baloney. It's all bull, you know, and uh, and 
that's just so frustrating. It's like, I, you know, I'm like, and, or like, I'll say something about somebody like, you know, oh, he was, he was so good. That, that speech was so good. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. He didn't say anything. And like, <laughs> well, that's not very nice. That's harsh. I'm like, I'm just saying it's, he wasn't good. I'm not saying I, he's a bad guy. I'm just saying that wasn't a good speech. I think speech. it goes back to like the saying of, if you don't have anything nice, don't say anything right. at all. And people take it to pe- a, people are afraid of not saying anything. Right. So they have to make up something right. nice. And it's, it's like, no, it's okay to not say anything. Yeah, it's the most, probably one of the most frustrating things about moving back to the Midwest, moving back to Madison particularly, that has I struggle with over the, you know, the last, you know. I run into this all the time because I am a guy who will say what I mean and yeah. mean what I say. And, and I will tell people things and they'll be like, well, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, no, I'm not the one with ulterior motives here. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. I, I'm telling you what I think. You asked me. Yeah. I, I'm not going to pussyfoot around it. So, yeah. it's so it's just so weird to like tell somebody my truth or whatever, what I think, and have them go, yeah, but what do you mean by that? No, I, I meant what I, I just, said. I just said that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I thought, you know, as an, as an Irishman that, you know, I, I was very good at kind of bearing, you know, you know emotions and sure. stuff like that. But I think Wisconsin people are, are just as just as big. It's like they they don't. You know, here's here's how I used to talk about it. I don't know if I'm repeating myself in the last podcast, but not. But who cares? When I first moved back here, um, we were here for a little bit, and then we went back out east to my then wife's, my ex wife's parents' family for a summer. You know, to see them in the summertime. You did talk about this, but I want you to say it yeah. again because re- yeah. as I re-listened to it, I was like, "He's so right about this." Um, so we're 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 driving up the the Merritt Parkway in Connecticut, and I'm we're you know we're, there's tons of cars, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I, I got the difference between New York and Madison." I'm like, "What do you mean?" I go, "Look at the cars," and she's like, "What?" I go, "What do you see?" I'm like, "What am I looking at? The bumpers? What do you see on the bumpers?" Because there's nothing on the bumpers. Now think, I go, "Now think of Madison." She goes, "Oh my god." And that's just so Madison. In New York, you want to know my opinion? I'm going to tell you. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you. In Madison, it's like, no, we, you know, we don't talk about those things. You want to know my opinion? Go it's out to the parking bu- lot. It's, it's all on my bumper, <laughs> you know, but we don't talk about things because it's not nice. Yeah. It's offensive or it's, it's, I don't want to hurt people's feelings, but man, the bumpers are just full. I think, I think Madison is starting to shy or get away from that a little bit. I think, uh, uh, our governor has has caused a lot of people to be like, no, we're going to talk about ugly stuff. But it, it's the only thing people are willing to talk about really is political stuff, um, which I find strange. I, I don't care much about politics these days. So, uh, But I do want to talk to you about politics. Uh, when we last talked, uh, shortly before you were on, an article was out, uh, and the, <laughs> the whole title of it was... Isn't that a great title? Uh, Tom Farley says, "I am not a Republican anymore." Yeah, which was the like, like I hope you have that framed somewhere. Yeah, I should. Yeah. Um, I'm, is it okay for me to ask yeah. where you're at now? What, oh. do you, what, what do you think of our current political climate in our country? And here's here's what's interesting is you know as I said I lived in New York 17 years. Um, this current president was just a local businessman, you know, when I was out doing, you know, right out of college and living in New York. And this guy was just a real estate guy. Yeah. And everyone had his number. Everyone knew what kind of guy he was. So it's kind of shocking for you ask most New Yorkers, 
you know, what they think about this president. They're like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm like, how, I don't, we don't know how, how this happened. This guy has been, you know, a bad deal and a bad guy for a long time for most East Coast people. Hmm. You know, we've, we've had his number for a long time. So it's, it's, it's very, very strange for me to, because everything I see now, it's like, yeah, everyone's shocked by it. Duh. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Um, well, let me ask you this. You know, your dad was a staunch Republican. Yep. Started the Young Republicans at, at George uh, Georgetown. Yep. What do you think he would think? You today? know, I think he and Chris, um, first of all, I think for, they would have championed, they were always championed the, on, you know, the, 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 the local guy. You know, you know, we came from the Midwest and, you know, just, you know, the, 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 the typical, Midwestern person was just you know we have we we do have very conservative values mm-hmm. we even even the even the liberals in Madison we talked about that last have a time very conservative I think we landed on yeah. the fact that because a lot of us come from a church background even though we may not be in it anymore that yep. a lot of those conservative yep. values come from that totally yeah totally and I I, I think I could have brought I mean just the way I you know came, you know evolved if you will. Um, you know, I evolved because, you know, one of the things as we've again talked yeah. about was, you know, I have a daughter with special needs. She's, you know, she is beautiful. She's smart as hell. She just has muscular dystrophy. She happens to be in a wheelchair. She's going to need help her entire life just to be even with people. Yeah. And I think, you know, we come from this, this, um, um, you know, history uh, in in certainly in rural Wisconsin of you know look I'm, I'm you know I come from a farmer you know I'm a farmer background no, you know no one's helping me you know, except my sons and we we're we're, we're we're doing this on our own mm-hmm. and you know the people that can't do it on their own you know that you know why why can't they because they don't have that experience they don't you know even if they had like a somebody like my daughter that had special needs it's like you know, she's going to be at home in the back room, yeah. and the the women are going to take care. She's going to be handled again by our family, by our nuclear sure. family, and so they don't understand the concept of you know people need you know um, assistance. Mm-hmm. You know, um, certainly in in the bigger cities, and so um, you know that's our heritage, and that's kind of the mindset. And I I think there's just there's, there's a lack of exposure to you know, the realities of life in some of the rural areas. And they think that all the resources are going to the cities because, you know. I mean, they kind of are. Like, I mean, I don't mean this negatively. They are. The resources are going to the cities because that's where the people are. (laughs) Exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. So I I don't think it's a bad thing that a majority of the uh, resources do go to where the people are. Right. Yeah. I I think something that's poignant that you said uh, last time we spoke you said you can't have a daughter who's in a wheelchair and and stay someone who doesn't think that we don't need these social yeah uh, projects right. and, and and social initiatives and that's and that's where i you know and then and then i just then you know then i looked at other you know people you know then i looked at you know um you know there there's you know a a child that deserves a loving family and just because two people that are willing to love this child happen to be the same sex yeah 
you know, you'd rather have them languish in a, in a foster home system? I, I mean, are you kidding me? Don't get me started, man. You know? Um, You're going to get me in trouble if you yeah. get me started. So, I mean, that's that's where I come from. I mean, so, I, so I started thinking in those terms, you know, and then, of course, you know, I, I just never had an, infat- an infatuation with guns. So, I mean, the whole, slowly the whole, you know, conservative platform to me just like doesn't, didn't make sense. And I think... Um, my dad being a, a, a fellow Georgetown, you know, smart guy like my, smart ass like myself, um, <laughs> I think he, I could, it would have been some great conversations. I think I could have, and certainly Chris, who just had a, had a heart as big as, you know, friggin', you know, a globe. I mean, he, he I could, you know, I, I could have, I think I could have got him both over to, uh, you know, the good side. Yeah. So, um, I, I bet you could have gotten Chris. Certainly Just Chris. from things that yeah. I've read about your dad, I'm a little more. Mm, yeah. Okay, well, because he was an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, and, um, uh, you know. So, so I tend so. to think that those with money want, he, to, he, want to stay with their money. Well, yeah, but here's, here's the thing. You know, it would have been a great conversation. My dad was a road builder. Yeah. Okay. So um, he helped you know, pave a lot of the roads in Wisconsin. He, you know, he dealt with all the municipalities and and got the road building. You know, back when Eisenhower said let's build roads, my family, my my grandfather, my dad said, okay, sure, we we we'll do that. So they brought him to every part of Wisconsin, which gave us this love of our state because we we would go into every corner and yeah, you know, um, and so uh, it was interesting at the end of. The business, you know, dad used to, one of his suppliers were the Koch brothers. And eventually, because dad had all the contacts in Wisconsin, they just kind of stayed out of Wisconsin. And when dad started to slow up, that's when they saw their, 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 their opportunity and they came in and they really harassed my father and his hmm. company. And, and I think that, I mean, you know, he goes, geez, these, I, these guys were, you know, suppliers of mine and friends of mine. I mean, he knew them. And uh, and all of a sudden they're you know they put them out of business. It's a product, man. And it would totally. And so it would have been interesting in these in the days of Walker, um, what do you you know having knowing the Koch brothers as well as my dad did. It's mm-hmm. like you know I you know how do you like them now? I mean it's like you know the, you know what they're like more than anyone, and what they're capable of, and how you know, and you know, and I think he would have also. You know the roads are one thing. The, the, the you know the interesting um, debate. You know what put Walker in where he is now is the whole roads versus um, uh, rail, and how he he positioned the rural Wisconsin against you know the cities. It's like rural Wisconsin. You you don't need rail, do you? And yet, it probably could have benefited them more than you know yeah. anything. I can't t- say too much about Paul because ultimately he's my boss currently. <laughs> Who's that? Uh, not Paul. Sorry, oh. Scott. Scott. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul Walker is an actor Paul. who died a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, this, we're back to dead. We're back to dead actors. Oh my god! All right, it's probably a good thing. Let's circle back to Walker and Paul. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We can go on and on, but um, um, but you know, it, it, it's funny. But going back to that article, I mean, I I, I did that because I, I I carry a lot of, you know, I I actually did you know run for office, and uh, you know, even was even talking about you know his, Walker's first run, maybe I you know talking about uh, running with him and some something, and uh, that was kind of like the last 
straw of me like i'm i'm really not it was, it was like anymore. it was your last like okay if i'm if i'm yeah. a republican this is the time yeah, to prove it to I, me world yep and it's nope and i said no and you know um i said no this is and i had this transformation and, and i i think i told my story enough and, and i you know i'm pretty sincere and i'm pretty open and honest but it wasn't enough there's still a hmm. lot of i mean you know it's still it's still polarized and even the even the local Democrats and progressives in Madison kind of looked at me like, yeah, no, you're not. You're not here yet because you weren't here the whole time. Sure. And yet I did have this, you know, born again kind of feeling about yeah. it. And I'll talk passionately about their cause, but it's still not enough. Hmm. And you still got to show the scars, I guess. Everybody's got exclusivity. Yeah. Oh, totally. Know? Totally. So I got kind of frustrated with that. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, I want to have an uncomfortable conversation with you. Is that all right? Oh, An sure. awkward conversation. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, when we last talked, I walked away from our, our conversation, because we went out uh, for dinner yeah, last time as the well. Broker, yeah, um, And I, I walked away really enjoying our conversation, but then, and I, I really truly don't mean this negatively, I also thought this is a guy that really enjoys the fact that he is Chris Farley's brother. Yeah. And I'm... And I, that's not negative, but I, I'm curious about what you think about living in the shadow of Chris Farley. Uh, do you think that you live in the shadow? Oh, if, yeah. If you do think that, do you Shit, think yeah. do you think it's escapable, and do you want to escape it? I don't think I can. I mean, I, I I don't think you know. I have running the Chris Farley Foundation, seeing what I was capable of doing, and how I could, how I was able to change people's lives. Mm-hmm. By being Chris Farley's brother, by just going in and, and, and actually, and being me too. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, when, you know, Chris, as I said, part of the transformation of me being myself, Chris, Chris gave me license to be that person, so to, to be me. I mean, it, it seems like I'm trying to be Chris Farley's brother. But, <laughs> you know, the Farley brothers are pretty much, you know, we're all like this, you know. Yeah. So, well, I, you know, I think but I wasn't for a long time, and now I've, I'm back in the fold. Um, so last time we talked about how like part of who you are is Chris Farley's brother. So part of it is absolutely inescapable. Like, I mean, just, just by the laws of how you're born, you know, like Chris Farley is literally well, your brother. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? And also, you know, we're born storytellers, you know, I'm Irish. Um, my dad was amazing at, at telling a story and, and my brothers and I are, are really gifted in that as well. And if somebody came up to me and said, tell me about Chris, you've just given me an opportunity to tell some amazing stories mm-hmm. and doing something I really love, and that is telling stories and, 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 and bringing joy just through those stories. So, but do you ever wish that somebody said, tell me about Tom, about you? I, I don't mean to get too like uh, new agey therapy with you, but I just, I'm curious if there's ever a point where you're like, Okay, I get it. I'm Chris Farley's brother. I understand. Yeah, well, you know, I think Chris kind of um, avoided that too. Yeah. Tell me about Chris. Chris mm. was like, nah, I'd rather make you laugh. Sure. Yeah, you know, um, that's, that, that there is, you know, um, it's funny. I've I got a lot of people that know me and are friends and, and um, to be perfectly honest, they really don't. Yeah. I, you know, would you call me an introvert or an extrovert? I mean, it's weird because I don't know you very well, well personally. True, true. We, we've seen a f- each other a few times. What would you assume? I, I would assume, 
off of our conversation that you're more of an introvert, honestly. Well, good for you. That's, you're, you're intuitive. You do a lot of this kind of thing. So I give you credit for that. <laughs> but that's exactly right. Yeah. And everyone thinks, oh, you know, Farley steps into a room and lights it up and, you know, and, and, and can do that. It's like, yeah. But, you know. I, I assume, cause I'm the same way. I, uh, because I get on stage at story sound yeah. events and whatever, whatever, people think I'm super extroverted. My preference when I walk into a room of a crowd of people is I don't want to be seen. I, when I go to church, I sit in the back left corner because I don't want people to talk to me. I don't, yeah. I don't want to be seen. I, it's nice to be recognized in things. And uh, I would imagine that there have been doors that have been open for you because of being Chris Farley's brother. Mm. Um, and I'm sure that, like, great. Hell yeah, that's awesome. But for the most part, I, like, if it was me, I'd be like, yeah, I'm just a guy from Madison. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I shy away from that, you know, as much as I can too. Yeah. But, you know, when I'm on stage, when I'm, when I'm, when I've got the floor, when I've got the attention, I'm pretty good at, at doing what I do. And I mean, I, and I accepting enjoy it. it. Yeah. Accepting it, enjoying it and, and letting it go. I mean, I, I, I love that. When I am an extrovert, I'm really good at it, and I yeah, love it. Yeah, I think it. you and I are those rare types of people who yeah. it really is a switch where yeah. it's like, okay, today yeah. I'm going to switch it to extrovert because I need to be. But I, you know, and I love being out with people. I love, I love people. Mm-hmm. But I like, like all my brothers, and uh, you know, we have an incredible ability to be alone. Yeah, you know, and and enjoy it. Actually, I'm happy to. I love being alone. Oh my God, absolutely. So, I, so I'm on vacation for my regular job this week. I'm yeah. not going anywhere, obviously, because I'm still in Madison. But like my wife's at work and I've had the whole week to just be here alone. And as much as I love my wife, I'm like, it's, oh, heaven, it's right? so nice yeah. to be alone right now. Yeah. So, um, so I, I want to talk to you a little bit about your book. We talked about it a lot last time. Sure. But for just people listening, we've kind of alluded to it. You talked about interviewing a lot of people. Um, but maybe there's some people listening who don't know why you interviewed a bunch of people. Can you just explain the format of the book and what it's like? Yeah, it's called an oral history. Um, it's a is a genre of book where you um, you, you 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 interview people at different stages in in somebody's life, you know, or you know, it's, or whatever the chapters are. We took Chris growing up, you know, starting on his career and ending his career, and um, so we interviewed people growing up in Madison. We interviewed people um, uh, where we spent our summers up north, and uh, we were at, you know we worked at a summer camp, and uh, and and when Chris was at college at Marquette, and then eventually then the middle chapter was interviewing people that you know, worked with in Second City, mm-hmm. and then finally you know out in um, SNL and then Hollywood, and so. Um, And we got a good, you know, it's interesting, we got a good smattering of not just, you know, celebrities, but people that, you know, kind of worked with them and knew them. And, um, yeah, it's it just, it's just this, you know, and, and what's great is, is you've got like a little paragraph. And so you can, you can take like little bites out of the yeah. book, you know, you can finish it in one fell swoop or you can just pick it up at any time, which I do a lot. I'll just pick up my book and just open to a page. And, I mean, I, that's got to be so comforting because you got yeah. you basically have this book full of memories of Chris yeah. that you were either a part of or yeah. uh, were on the fringes of or that you never knew. I'm curious. So it's basically a narrative made up of other people's memories. Yeah. So a narrative of Chris's life. I'm curious, did you go to most people and say, tell me what you remember about Chris and they told you? Or was it like, 
we have the narrative set out. We're going to ask you questions to form the narrative. No, just, what's your or, memory? Or did just people's, totally, tell people's me memories just kind of like, oh, yep. well, this guy told this yep. and this fits perfectly. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, just tell me your story. And and a lot of times we would leave it because it, it, it's not just Chris's story, but it's also that individual's story mm-hmm. of Chris. And I'll give you an example. Um that we left in the book was um, Chris Rock talking about the Chippendales dancer yeah. scene where Chris has his shirt off and and Rock was just, you know, incensed that, you know, that they would do that to Chris. And Chris felt that he had to do it because he was being paid to do this sort of thing, embarrass himself on TV. Yeah. Because everyone knew he had, had body image, you know, um, problems and things like that. And Chris and Chris Rock was like, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't ever ask me to do like, you know, you know, a little black Sambo or something like that and mm-hmm. just make fun of my blackness, you know? So he was looking at them through those eyes and it's, a, and it's a good point and I didn't want to counter it. I just wanted to leave it there. But the, the reality is he, he, whether he had a low self body esteem and self esteem, whatever it is, I mean, I saw Chris be doing that act since we were like 10 years old Sure, in the middle of the play, in the middle of a, um, living room or whether we were up north in college you know at a at a bar in Manaqua, you know chris's shirt would come off and 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 he would just do this dance and it was just so like i've seen this so many times you know i mean to the fact when i saw him doing it with swayze it's like really they're paying him for this i mean i saw this since you know when i was a kid so i mean he was so used to doing that yeah so but i didn't want to Bring that out in the book, but, was, but don't you think Rock's there memory. could be something there though? That yeah, you've seen it ever since he was a kid, but maybe he felt like he's always had. Oh, to I'm do sure it. there was that. Yeah, there's yeah. there's that too. That's which is why like Rock made a good point. Yeah, and I wanted to leave it there. Without, that takes a lot of integrity to let that sit there and not yeah. try and counter it in some way. Well, yeah, I'll give you another example. There was another time when Chris was really off the rails. He was at a comedy festival in Aspen, and my brothers Kevin and Johnny were out there, and Chris was just overly excited to be there and he just was off the rails and and his managers were trying to corral him down because it was all filmed sure they had like the whole all the like you know know, alumni snl people there and kevin and johnny was like you know remembers this distinctly they you know that they said you gotta you gotta do something about this your brother and so they went up to chevy chase for help it's like hey chevy can you you help us out here "Yeah, yeah i got this and uh, and and he, I'll talk to Chris. So Chris was like, "Hey, man, these all my managers are giving me, you know, all this hassle, man. I'm just trying to have fun out here in uh, in um, Aspen, you know, Chevy. What what would you do?" And he goes, "Hey, man, these guys work for you. You're in charge. You do whatever you want." And my brothers Kevin and Johnny are like, "Oh, that's not helping at all." Wow. And Chris, he got all the you know. Um, affirmation he needed to just continue just blowing it out and yeah. being a total drunken jackass and but in the book jeffy was like yeah I'm, he was really bad in aspen and you know i talked to him and i tried to you know set him straight and blah 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 blah. and i was like okay jeffy that's the way you, <laughs> you remember it and that's the way you need it to be remembered i'm gonna leave it you know i'm gonna leave it there yeah um but that's not the story wow but it was I, it was interesting to kind of leave that there again, because that's what Chevy wants. That's you know I didn't want to I wasn't going to change his words. You or, know everybody's the lead in their own story. Totally. So yeah, it is what it is. Well, I think we've had a good chat. 
Absolutely. Um, but we have a tradition here at Story Slam uh, on the podcast when we interview people. It actually started with you. Yeah. Uh, the last question that I ask every guest is, uh, "Who is the most interesting person on your phone?" Uh, that was a great. That was a great one the first time. I'm yeah. hoping that you don't go with the same answer. I, I don't know if you remember who you said. Oh, I, I know exactly what I said. Who'd you yes. say? I said Quincy Jones. You did. Yeah. So absolutely. I'm asking the question again. You can take it however you want. You know, we've had so many different people. Uh, your your brother uh, Kevin, I think, just said your mom, uh, which I think is really cool. Uh, a lot of guests have said their mothers. Not that I'm trying to encourage you to say yeah. your mother, but you know, I'm sure you have celebrities on your phone. I'm sure you have just interesting businessmen, interesting people. But Tom, who is the most interesting person on your phone? Hmm. Um, most interesting, I would say uh, Father Matt Foley. Yeah. Yeah. Why is, why is that? Um, he's just got uh, Matt is just well. First of all, Matt. First of all, he's got a really recognizable name. He really does, doesn't he? It just kind of sticks out. <laughs> Matt was a uh, friend of Chris's. They played rugby together at Marquette. And um, Matt was just this hard-charging you know, rugby player at Marquette. And he, but he went off to join the priesthood. And so he's you know he, he's a priest and chris being a catholic and always he always had some priests around he always had the the priest that he could talk to and take out to lunch and dinner and stuff like that so to have one of his best friends now be a priest it was you know he, chris just loved matt he you know he loved him even more and so matt was just always a special friend and um he showed up to second city one time and and uh, Chris had this new character he was showcasing, and it was a motivational speaker. And he and he would have this tradition when he knew somebody's in the audience, he'd come out and he'd and he'd use your name as that character. Mm-hmm. So he came out and he said, "I'm Matt Foley, you know, motivational speaker." And Matt is like the only one in the audience, kind of laughing at that because you know, it was an inside joke. And then afterwards, Chris came up to Matt and goes, "You know, Matt, I change all my characters all the time based on who's in the audience, but..." I'm never changing this character's name, ever. <laughs> Little did he know that he would take it to Saturday Night Live or right. whatever, but he thought it was just every night. He'd, and every night at Second City, he was Matt Foley, and that's where that came from. And um, Matt, you know, went on to, um, he went down missionary work. He went down to, like, rural Mexico, where he was the only priest in, like, you know, you know five you know provinces, and he would travel around. I don't think they travel on on on, on, on mules anymore, but uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe they gave him a bike. But he would go around. He was like the priest for like five parishes, and then he came back and he still was like, "Yeah, what am I going to do with my life?" And he joined the chaplain corps. Hmm. He joined the army. Yeah. And he did two, two two tours in in Afghanistan, and you know, he would talk to me. He, you know, he comes up to my mom's house every well, at least once a year and says mass in our house, and you know, says hi to Mama Farles and yeah. Um, he said once, you know, we were having lunch and one time he said, you know, I used to have these, these young, you know, um, servicemen, you know, they would come to my mass, you know, before, before they, you know, got out, got out in the, you mm-hmm. know, in the buggy yeah, and they would come to me and, and they were scared and they, like they, and they, they were, they, they didn't know, you know, they, they had all this emotion stuff and Matt would say, <clears throat> Let me tell you about my buddy Chris. Hmm. And these young kids, like, you knew Chris Farley? And it's just like totally, he said, it, Matt would say, you just totally got them out of their heads a little. Yeah. And they would just laugh about Chris in college or this or that. And he said, that was a gift that Chris gave me as a priest 
to go and, and help these young GIs kind of live through the hell they were going through. And so that, that kid, that, you know, Matt, Father Matt is just a, you know, somebody that Chris brought into our lives and he's still there. He's got a, he's got a, you know, a famous name now, but he's just, he's more than that. He's just a really cool guy, a really interesting guy. That's awesome. So we started this conversation talking about the redemption that comes after the fact. Yeah. But, I, but I think that story you just shared goes to show that the redemption is there all along. Sure. Yeah. That, sto- that story is about the redemption of Chris Farley, Yeah, which I think is I, really cool. Yeah. I mean, we're all kind of carrying our own little legacy and piece of Chris, and that's, you know, it's nice. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end. Awesome. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for, for coming back on. I said it last time. I'll say it this time. And I mean it every time. Come back whenever you want. I will. And I got to get to one of your events. You really do. Because you know, I, I, I know you're going to yeah. kill it when you totally, do come and tell totally. a story. Uh, hang tight. I'm just going to outro real quick. Uh, so speaking of events, uh, our next one is Saturday, August 19th at the Wilmar Center. That's uh, 953 Jennifer Street in Madison. We will be sponsored by Ale Asylum, as we always are. They're our favorite partner. Uh, They love what we do, building community through storytelling. We love what they do, make delicious beer. So come out and tell a good story about the good, the bad, and the awkward, or just come hear stories and have a couple drinks and then tell a story, because I'm sure that you will. Anyway, we will see you next time. A couple more episodes from Past Story Slams will be released this month. Hope to see you on Saturday, August 19th. Again, thank you, Tom.